Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. So thankful to have all of you here and joining us today, whether you're in person or online, and it really is a gift to have all of you. And uh, I want to make two quick announcements before we uh, start our sermon. First, I've been saying it all this past month leading up, but if you haven't had a chance to volunteer or sign up for Neighborhood Clifton, it's at the end of this month, there are sign-up forms at the front or in the back. And if you're thinking, what on earth is Neighborhood Clifton? Then come see me afterwards and we can talk about it. But uh, next week is the deadline to sign up. And the other thing I want to mention, I mentioned it in class, but um, as you can see, and there's a reason for it, we're, we're going to have communion after the sermon. And and the communion bread was actually prepared by Catherine. And uh, it's so it's going to look a little different than normal. But when you get your tray, take a whole piece and don't break it. Now, if we get to the back and you're thinking, oh, no, this is getting thin. Just remember, Jesus fed 5,000 people out of nowhere. <laughs> so we're going to be just fine. Uh, but uh, in case I'm not trusting enough for that, there are some for the servers. There are some uh, extras in the in the back uh, on some trays if we run out. So. We won't run out, but we're about to watch a video, and uh, I'm gonna. Hey, Doug, just a reminder: when we do the video, don't turn off the light right behind you because it's running the camera. Okay, but all the other lights, no, don't do it. All the other lights we can turn off. Um, but uh, we're about. I'm about to show this video. I just had to for today's sermon. Today we're going to be still talking about prayer a little bit in our series on Your Will Be Done that we've been doing on prayer. But I'm also going to be talking about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, after the resurrection. And whenever I knew I was prepping for this, I thought of a video that um, Rick actually used in one of his sermons. And I I remember it was perfect. Uh, He used it talking about Christmas, but I'm going to use it today. And uh, this video, as you'll see, it was made around a time when Queen Elizabeth was in her last days. And they were interviewing one of the, uh, one of her guards. Uh, They call him her police officer, but really he was like the head of her her protection for thirteen, the last 13 years of her life. And so I think you'll really enjoy this video. It's a video about um, maybe uh, not recognizing when we're in the presence of royalty. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, one of my favorite stories is when we were at Balmoral, uh, the Queen used to go up in May to Crookowen House and just stay there privately for a weekend. And she would go up at lunchtime for picnics. And very often, it would just be the police officer and her majesty and one of the picnics I went out with her, we had a lovely picnic and a lovely chat. And then we went for a little walk, just the two of us. And normally, on these picnic sites, you, you meet nobody. But there was two hikers coming towards us, and the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment we first stopped, they hadn't recognised the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said, Her Majesty, oh, where do you live? <laughs> she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. And he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clock's ticking. He said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. <laughs> and as quick as a flash, she says, well, I haven't, but Dickie meets her regularly. <laughs> So the guy said to me, well, he's met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew, I could 
for the lake. I said, well, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. But the next thing I knew, this guy comes around, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what's happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of this? <laughs> anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on. And we waved goodbye, and then Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows us photographs to friends in America. And hopefully someone tells him who I am. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> All right, I hope you enjoyed that. But uh, I know when I watched that, I remember immediately thinking, I wonder if I've ever, I've ever met someone famous or someone important, been around them and had no idea, because I really... I really wouldn't miss out on that. But you, if you didn't catch, because his accent was too thick, uh, they go, they were in their, her vacation home in Scotland, going on a hike, and two Americans met her and thought, oh man, have, have you met the queen? And she said, I haven't, but he has. He meets her regularly. And so the story we're going to read today comes from Luke 24, and it's about these two disciples that are walking on the road who are in the presence of Jesus, and they don't recognize him. So if you would follow along, you can follow along on the screen. Or with your Bible, and uh, we'll be in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. You can, you can tell he's saying, Are you really that out of the loop? Which, by the way, I, I feel that way fairly often in, in my family, where you know people will be discussing the news. Didn't you hear what happened on Facebook? Didn't you see? And, oh, no, I, I must have missed it. How could you have missed this, this thing? And so they respond, and they say, About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they, that they had seen a vision of angels. This is further... A reinforcement that these people, they may not be one of the 12 disciples, but these were in Jesus' core group. I mean, they were in the house with the disciples when the, the, the ladies run up and say, hey, he's, his body's not there. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. Am I on the right slide? Uh, yeah, they said they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. I think, I think part, of, part of why he says how foolish, I don't think it's just so much uh, that he's being harsh, but he's, uh, I mean, Jesus would have known these people very intimately. These people, he would have, they would have really known who Jesus was. And he's saying to them, like habits throughout the gospel, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? Haven't you known that the Messiah would have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder, what exactly did he did he quote to them? Did he 
go and say, do you remember when God made a promise to Abraham? Of course they remember. You know, they have, they have so much of this memorized, but he would say, don't you remember when he says, I will bless you and I will bless the world through your descendants? Or does he, does he quote from 2 Samuel when God is talking to David? David says to God, hey God, I'm going to make you an amazing temple. You know, this tent that we've been going around in, it's getting kind of old and David, let's get a temple. And God says, well, you know, I, you don't really need to do that for me. I'm not that interested. I'm, I'm okay with my tent. And then God says to David, but guess what I'm going to do for you? He says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a home for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. You don't need to worry about building me a temple. He is going to build me a temple, one that's not of stone, but one that dwells in the human heart. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Or maybe Jesus quoted from Isaiah and said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It could have been all those things. It could have been so many others. But he talked with them. And as they approached the village, which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, hey, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So I, in a good old-fashioned way, I have three sermon points for you today. First, God is with us even when we do not see him. These disciples, they are like us. They are downcast. They have their hopes of what God might do and how they're telling Jesus, they're saying, listen, we, if they were a disciple, I don't know to what extent every one of the disciples had to give up their life in order to be a student or apprentice of Jesus. But I'm going to guess it was a decent amount of giving up their life. You know, you've heard the stories, or if you haven't, Jesus came to the fishermen, and when he calls them, they leave their nets, and they follow him. They leave their profession to go be a student of this rabbi, to be an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. And so I have to imagine that these disciples, part of their despondency, part of their downcast nature, is because they were like, man, we gave up everything for this guy. You know, we, we left it all thinking that this guy was going to be the one, and, and it turned out that he's not. It turned out that... He wasn't actually the Messiah. And so from their perspective, they're thinking, yeah, we thought we were in the presence of the one and we're not. And I know how many times all of us go through seasons where when we are praying to God, when we are walking this journey, we think, God, why are you absent right now? We are, I'm asking you, God, to draw near and you're far away. I'm asking you, God, to be in our presence and you're not. But yet this story is a reminder to us that even when we don't see him, we believe and we have this trust that he is there present in our story, working in our lives and through our lives. I think about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. The whole story appears to be 
like this young boy, this man, has been completely abandoned by God. He is the spoiled son of his father. His brothers are all jealous. They're afraid that he's going to get all of the family inheritance because he's the favorite. And so they decide, let's kill him. And then one of them talks him out of it and says, no, 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 that would be too much. Don't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery, which is so much better, right, than being killed. And so that in that moment, Joseph probably isn't thinking, wow, my God is right here with me. And then the narrator says, but God was with him. And then he goes to Egypt, and there he is doing pretty well, and suddenly he's falsely accused of something and thrown into jail. I'm sure he is thinking, God is not with me. But the narrator says, and God was with him. And then when he's in jail, he does something great that helps a guy get out of jail, and he's probably thinking, hey, I'm going to get out of jail soon too. Tell them about me and what I can do. And the guy forgets him. And I'm sure he's thinking, God was not with me. But by the end of the story, when all of it comes to an end, when his brothers who sold him into slavery come and Joseph, because he was willing to participate in what God made him able to do, he was able to save his whole family. And when his brothers come to apologize, he is able to look at all of it through the lens of what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you, what, what I probably, I have to imagine all along, he felt like he had been abandoned. He was eventually able to come to a point where he recognized that Jesus had been, that God had been with him. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but this is more for my children. But since we've been doing life groups, uh, this has become a popular song for my kids. And so I'm going to ask you to sing along with me. If you don't know it, sorry, there are no words on the screen. But I think a lot of you know it. You ready? Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven are what I can see. When my Lord is living in me, I know that Jesus is well and alive today. He makes his home in my heart. Nevermore will I be all They weren't staying. It was over. They were leaving. 
This isn't rocket science. This isn't some complicated thing. Their Messiah, their hope, it was dead. And when we meet the resurrected Messiah, you turn around and your path changes. What happens at the end of the story? At the beginning of the story, their hope is dead and they're walking away. At the end of the story, they recognize Jesus and what does it say that they do? They go back to Jerusalem and they meet with the disciples. And when we come to see the resurrection, it is going to change the trajectory of our lives. I'm going to give you this idea, but if one of your core ideas in your life is that you are someone that is not capable of being loved, if for some reason, because of something in your life, you grew up thinking, I am not capable, I don't deserve to be loved, you will go on a path in your life. But when you meet Jesus and recognize that you are the beloved of God, that God so loved you that he died for you, then your journey goes in a new direction. And so we see with these disciples, if your image of the Messiah is hopelessness, is, well, he seemed really great, but close but no cigar. If that's what you think about the Messiah, then you will trod away from the path. But if you recognize the Messiah... And he is the one who was slain, but is now risen and present with you, bringing hope where there was none. It sets a new course for you. It changes your path. So now, the third point. How do we keep recognizing Jesus? Drew, if, if recognizing Jesus, the resurrected Lord, changes my path, then how can I see him? I, I can understand how you might be thinking that. Drew, we're not the people that lived in that first century. We're not the people that... I can't tell you the number of times as a kid I thought, Dad, if I could just have met Jesus, it would have been, it'd be so much easier to explain a lot of this. And we don't have that luxury. But Luke does provide an answer for how we can keep seeing and recognizing Jesus in our life today. Do any of you notice what part of the story was it when they recognized Jesus? When he prays for the meal. All throughout the Bible, when he feeds the 5,000, when he does the Lord's Supper, there is a repeated theme. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. And in this story, it says that when he does that, their eyes are opened. And so we may never have an opportunity to see Jesus with our physical eyes, but like these two disciples, we do have the opportunity to see Jesus every time we get on our knees and decide to pray to him. Now, if you're like me and you pray a lot, you may think, I don't know if I've ever seen Jesus when I pray. But what I believe is, is that whenever we open our eyes, and, and I want to mention this too. I want to point this out in the story too. This is not, my series is on prayer, not on God's word. But there's no denying in the story too that there are other ways that you recognize Jesus. Because what did they say? Weren't our hearts warmed when he showed us himself in the scriptures, right? He's able to, so we are able to recognize him when we read God's word. We're able to recognize him when we break the bread, when they have a meal together with his disciples. We're able to recognize him in prayer. And the thing that I want to offer to you is this idea that there were plenty of people that saw Jesus in with their physical eyes and did not believe, right? And so we are just as much at an advantage and disadvantage, whatever you want to hear, when we open up our heart and open up our eyes in faith and pray before him. I'm going to invite, if you're one of the men that is serving and Dan for the communion, I'd invite you to come forward as we're about to do communion. And so now we too will join together. We will pray. We will take the bread. We will bless it and break it. We will remember the cup that he drank on the cross. 
the one that we don't have to drink, and the cup that he offered for us at the Last Supper, the cup that he offered to the woman at the well, the cup that says, this will never leave you thirsty. And we will, with veiled faces, recognize the risen Lord, and it will change our lives. It will change our path. Awaiting the day when we will see him fully, face to face, and enjoy this fellowship and this meal with him in the kingdom of the heavens.